Hello and welcome to another edition of Logical, the legal podcast from the Dubai-based law firm HPL, Yamalaba and Pleska. Uh, Logical is still the Gulf region's first and only regular legal podcast. I'm Jim Elliott, here on the 18th floor, socially distanced at Dubai's JLT, Jamira Lakes Towers District, at the firm's offices with the managing partner, Ludmilla Yamalaba. And it's always good to see you. Pleasure to see you too, Tim. Now, today on Logical, uh, in a break from tradition, Ludmilla, we have a very special guest, a man I know well, uh, as it happens. Damien Reed is here with us. Good of you to join us, Damien. Nice good to see, see you, Tim. Nice to see you again. However, it's under, I guess, relatively inauspicious circumstances, unfortunately. But you have a story to tell us, Damien. It's a real estate story. It's affected, I had 60 people down here, but it's a lot more than that. And I know that you're going to explain. Unfortunately, you're one of those people. In brief, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you paid your rent in a lump sum to an operator who failed to pass it on to your landlord in the hotel residence you're staying at. That's the essence of the story. But I'll let you take up the story from there. Yeah, I mean, in essence, that's correct. So since we spoke not long ago, that group has now doubled in size. We're now at 120 on the WhatsApp group that, right. that I'm working with. Um, but in essence, yes. So I, I, was, uh, I guess the message is buyer beware because I, I dealt through uh, an agent that, Almost, or gave the image that it was a real estate agent, but it was a, actually a vacation homes um, under uh, under oper- operating under the DTCM license rather than a RERA license, and uh, so they um, offered rooms for rent in hotels, res- long term residencies for very good rates. And during the peak of COVID, to me that kind of made sense because occupancy rates were we're at an all-time low back then and and I thought well okay I was looking to move anyway I thought okay that that to me that makes sense that uh, hotels want to get people in there regardless so I'll I'll enjoy you know uh, a good deal while the climate is like this and uh, I signed up and moved in for 12 months now the thing as I've since found out is it appears that I may have signed a contract with these people rather than the hotel for a single check uh, they then have paid a separate uh, under a separate contract that doesn't include my name uh, for monthly accommodation in the hotel with the room that I'm in. And what they've done is they've simply stopped paying for the month and it became down to the night. The hotel eventually came and said, look, the room is now vacant, even though you're in there because it has not been paid for. Um, the deal that you have with them has nothing to do with us. You've, you've paid with them. We're sorry about that, but they've only paid us by the month and they've stopped paying. So therefore we need to, uh, vac- you need to vacate the room. We need to put it back on the market because it is now empty. Um, and I, I replied saying, well, listen, I've paid everything. I've paid a, a year's rent. You can't just simply do that. Mm. Uh, and pretty much the saying, yep, we can. So at the moment, um, there's, as I say, there's 120 of us involved across about, I'm guessing between nine and a dozen hotels across uh, Dubai. Um, you know, names that we all, re- that we're all familiar with. And, uh, they've all been caught up with it as well. So there's disputes going on between some of the residents who, uh, who, who don't want to vacate and, uh, and the police have been involved to try and keep them there. Uh, I've actually paid extra to stay because, uh, for me, that works out for the, for the short term, but it will be for the short term. 
And uh, at the moment, yeah, there's, we're talking millions and millions of dirhams that are now involved collectively. So, Damien, if I may, uh, let's rewind a little bit. Yeah, sure. You said that you found this uh, deal uh, that looked uh, rather appealing, but perhaps under the COVID circumstances it was not unexpected. But how did you find this deal? Where was it advertised? How did you come across and who was advertising it? So I was I was looking at it through all the all the traditional uh, online sites. So you know to mention all, all the names. You know, there's there's Debizzle, there's Bayut, there's uh, Property Finder. It's all the places that you would go to to look for, and the the ads were in all of them. Um, they were being advertised under the the name of the of the place, not not the hotel. So not not the landlord was not advertising. It was this this the agent that was advertising. And uh, and there was a phone number. There was a phone number, email addresses, uh, uh, quite a, a lengthy description of of the facility and what you get for your money. Um, two things that I should have tweaked to one that I know is is, is very common in in these sites, and that is the images weren't of the actual apartment. The images were of were generic images, and there was an asterisk underneath it, as we've seen with a lot of places where it's saying. The actual apartment may vary. These are images that are similar. So that didn't raise any alarm bells in hindsight. Perhaps it should. Um, the other one that, that, that is probably the biggest red flag now in hindsight is it didn't mention the, the address, the name of the hotel. It simply said the location and, uh, and then we'll, you know, call us and we'll, we'll tell you where it is. So, so, so you called the number, and uh, then where did you go from there? So I called the number. Uh, I said I, I referenced the the ad, and I said I, I like that. Can we? Can I have a look at it? Where is it? And uh, they said it's in Media City. Go down and have a look. We'll meet you at the hotel. That's when I got the address of the hotel, and uh, and I went down to the hotel. I uh, I went to the concierge, and I said I'm waiting for the people from this agent. And they said, Oh, okay, take a seat. Um, and then the people from the agent turned up. Now, when they turned up, uh, they then spoke separately to the concierge with, without me, got access to the, to, to a handful of room keys, say three to five or something like that. Um, and as normal part of this, of the hotel security policy, we were accompanied by a member of, of the hotel staff. So a bellboy who, who rode in the elevator with us and, and opened the door for us. Even offered comments about the room and 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 you know what they do and that sort of thing. Um, went downstairs. I said, "Yep, I like that. Let's let's look at doing something." So then I spoke back then with the with the agent about where we take it from there. So it's pretty obvious that the agents had a relationship with the hotel staff, so they were not unknown there, and they they had authority to actually enter the premises and it, then show. Yeah. Uh, various it, properties. It seemed incredibly transparent. It seemed like there was a, a relationship, a rapport between the desk and the agent. Uh, and uh, as there were more of us staying in there from from the agent, from the agency, then they've obviously done that with other people as well. So it's not that it's not like I was walking off the street with uh, with this person saying, "Hey, this person works for XYZ Company and is advertising your apartment." Uh, it was well and truly. No, and because there are other people that are in my situation in that same hotel. So from your perspective, you were actually dealing with one and the same entity. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, at that point, the alarm bells are not ringing because you can see that these people have a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was all very clear. And I, I spoke to the, the, the hotel manager at the time, said, you know, good afternoon. How are you? And, mm. you know, I said, I hope I can stay here. It's a nice hotel. And it was all very, you know, very cordial. It was all very nice. 
Um, so there were no red flags from the face-to-face interaction whatsoever. Okay, so you're there thinking, this seems okay, this seems like a good deal for me, this is going to work. So what happened next? So from then, uh, I thought, okay, this is, this is a great deal because, again, because of the COVID situation, I thought, I can, I can do this. I said, let's put it on hold for, for a few weeks because my existing lease was running out. I didn't want to let go of this deal. So I said, can we put it on a hold? I'll, I'll pay you a holding deposit to, to hold that uh, play, to hold that apartment for about uh, eight or nine weeks until my existing lease expired. And, and what, the, what did you do there? How did you uh, put a hold on that? So I wrote them a check. Just, just gave them a, gave them the a check. The check was issued in whose name? In the name of the agent. So not, not the hotel. Okay. And was there any other document signed uh, explaining the purpose of this check that it was a deposit or a guarantee or refundable or non-refundable? I've got, uh, well, I've got the, got the receipt saying they've received the check as a holding deposit for the apartment. So, um, uh, fairly basic receipt, you know, um, one page receipt on, on the agent letterhead. Okay. So, so for, uh, up until now, everything you've done and all the documents you've either received or issued were in the name of this agency, not the hotel. Yes, correct. Yep. Yep. So we let it go uh, then until I was ready to, to, to move in. I then went down to the agent's office, uh, not the hotels, went down to the agent's office. We, we, we signed the, the contract there and the checks were made out to the agent. Now, and, um, again, that didn't raise any red flags because I, that's, you know, I've lived in Dubai for, for 16 years and every place I've rented, even from the biggest real estate agents and the most reputable names, um, it's always been checks signed to the agent and not the landlord. So let's just break that down. Mm. So you signed a contract and the contract, do you remember? Was this a lease contract? Was this, uh, just an agreement and who were the parties to the contract? Obviously you were the party representing yourself and you would have signed off, uh, on your behalf, but who was the other party to the agreement that you remember or that you believed to be? Was this the hotel? Was it the agency? Was it a particular individual? Well, the way I believed it, uh, is that, um, I, I signed the contract with the agent on behalf of the hotel. That's the way my layman's head was thinking because it mentions, the name of the hotel, it mentions the, the facilities, it mentions what I'm getting for the money I'm paying at the hotel with the hotel's address. So, um, and again, in, in my, in my layman's head of, of dealing with, with real estate contracts before, it looked similar to other contracts I'd signed with, with big agents, uh, you know, big reputable established agents in the region that we all know, um, uh, with, with, with regular properties. So, you know, again, it didn't raise any red flags, but it was with the agent. It wasn't with the hotel. And, and because up until that point, whenever you visited the hotel, the hotel and the agency seemed to at least be, if not one the same, on the same page. And so therefore signing a contract with the agency, but for this hotel did not really seem disjointed to you because mm. for your purposes, they were all on the same team. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said before, you know, they were very transparent in, in their dealings from what I saw face to face. In the in the foyer, um, it seemed like they were known to each other, and and it was just your, your usual thing. It was to me, it was no different to to walking into a residential apartment complex and and getting the key, you know, having the the agent get the keys off the, off the security and showing me an apartment from from you know from a large agent. It was exactly the same. So it's really because of these uh, representations, visits, uh, that you didn't really hesitate to not only sign the agreement. 
which uh, was signed by the agency versus the hotel, but also issue the check in the name of the agency and not the hotel. Yeah. In other words, you're issuing the check to someone other than the landlord of yeah. the property into which you're moving. So you, it didn't really seem odd to you or disjointed because for your purposes and your understanding, they were really represented by either represented by this or they were either the same party or they were being uh, lawfully represented. Yeah, exactly. Um, because, you know, dealing with, with other big agencies before, uh, I can't even, honestly, I can't even remember the names of my previous landlords. So it was, it was always made out, the check was made out to the, the agent and in good faith, in hindsight, as we, it is good faith <laughs> that it was passed on to, to the landlord. Um, and I guess that's where it fell apart this time. Is it, is it, uh, uh, is it, yeah, there was, there was, there is obviously a, there was good faith in my part that they were going to pass that on. The other thing is I I had assumed um, that they were going to pass the single check on for the full 12 months to the hotel, not knowing that they were going to enter into their own contract with the hotel, to, or even if there was a contract, but pay my rent monthly rather than forward my check, forward the full amount. And how did you find out about that? Uh, Oh, a, a phone call from the hotel concierge at about 11 p.m. Um, at the end of the month saying, uh, you're, you haven't paid for next month. And, um, and that was, that was the, that was a big shock. That was the first wake up call because I went, yeah, of course I've paid. You know, you, you guys have 12 months of my money or you have 11 months yet to use. And they said, no, we haven't been paid yet. I said, and that, then we, we had that back and forth on the phone and I went down and spoke to them. I said, look, it's that. That's not my issue. Um, we have an, we have an agreement, have a contract. There, there is a 12 months rent for this apartment that I've already paid and I'm in there. I've moved in. They assisted with my move in as well. So they knew I was going to be a long term resident in there. Um, so, you know, you can't sort of now say, because they said, they said, look, if you can't pay tonight or tomorrow, we need access to the room. And you need to be, uh, you need to vacate. But did you present to them the contract that you signed and the copy of the check or the receipt of the money? Yeah, absolutely. And what was their response? They said that that was a, that's between you and them and not you and us. Very simple, very blunt. <laughs> the, the fact was they said, yeah, you've made that arrangement with them, but we have an arrangement where they come in on the first of the month or the particular date of the month. And they basically, their words were to me, they book it like a hotel room every month, just that you happen to be in there. So they walk in as if they 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 now turning it from from being uh, you know very transient in their dealings with them to try and get me into the room to start with, to now being well they're just a customer and they've just put you in the room and they they they, they walk in off the street and book a room for a month and 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 you're in there. So they're washing their hands of it. That's the impression I get of of having any involvement with it. But when you actually moved in, did you have to check in with the hotel like normally people do, give them a copy of your passport, Emirates ID? Do they have no. any record of you at the hotel? No, it was simple to walk in and grab the key, grab grab the, 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 the electric door key. Did you ever present any of these documents to the agency, your yeah. passport copy? So they've asked. Yeah. And so obviously you thought there's nothing, again, disjointed because they've already requested your identification documents. You provided them with that. Obviously, since they were part of the same team, yeah. these documents are already on file. So it did not seem odd to you that you were being led into this new property without having to actually. Not in the produce. slightest. On, on the day that I moved in was a, was a, an easier and faster process. Had I walked in off the street and said, I'd like to, you know, check in for the night because there wasn't the paperwork. 
that you normally fill in. There wasn't the the, the swapping of documents and there's you know, handing over IDs and passports and uh, security deposits. Whatever. It was just simply, oh, thanks, you're here and here's the key. So at this point, you're still thinking with your real estate agent that they've just effected a relatively smooth move-in arrangement. So mm. the alarm bells are still not. No, no, and I, and I thought, wow, this is this is so much better than dealing with a residential property because yeah. you know there, there's no bonds to pay, there's no, you know, all the that I don't have to ring up dealer and activate the electricity in the water. It's just wow, this is really is a smooth process, and I thought this is the way to go. And uh, and by that stage, when they you know handed over the key and said move in, that fantastic. And I I had a, a small amount of furniture I, I, that I wanted to bring over with me and, and bits and pieces, so I, I brought them over myself. Um, and they, you know, they assisted with the moving in the apartment with that um, to to help, you know, refurnish it very slightly. So they knew that I wasn't going to stay there for a week or even a month. They knew that I was going to be there for, you know, for the full twelve months at least, because I was turning it. I said first thing I said before I even agreed to to moving, and I said, "Can I move the furniture around? Can I bring furniture in? Can I change?" And they said, "Yeah, sure. Just don't." Uh, just don't, you know, put nails in the wall. Don't hang things on the wall. But if you want to bring in, you know, bookcases and cupboards and, 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 you know, move bits and pieces, fine. No problem. And that's exactly what I've done. So they knew that I wasn't staying there for a short term. And so they also knew that that property was going to be occupied by you for your own benefit and not as a guest of this agency. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so they cannot um, claim now that you were just that the property was always rented by them and you were just their their guest for the no, night or two. I, I, I did what what we all do when we move into a place. I, I turned it as much as I could into a home. You know, I have pic, you know, family pictures hanging around. Uh, I set up the you know because I do a lot of work from home, so I set up like a home office area in the corner. I you know, all, all the normal things you do. It took probably about a week or so to to do that. So I was up and downstairs and in the lifts in the corridors and bring in, you know, pick up trucks with stuff and the whole lot. So they knew that I wasn't just simply a businessman from out of town who's going to drop his bag for a few weeks and then move on. Um, and they knew because of the discussions we'd had that I'd, that I'd been a Dubai resident for, you know, for, for, for many, many years. And so then what happened? So after the phone calls came through saying, look, you, you need to vacate, um, I then tried to phone the agency um, and that's when the agency would, would stop answering the calls and stop answering the, the text messages and the WhatsApps. Um, and they were saying, look, we're not getting through to them either. And then they started to do the whole, now we're on your team kind of thing because we can't get through, through to them. We can't get any money out of them. And they said, we need the residents to help us to, to push. So, you know, in other words, can you take one for the team? Can you cop the stress and, and chase them up? So, that became my, you know, obligation because I was, if I wanted to stay there, I'd be the one that was, that was taking the stress of giving these people the hard time. I was playing the bad cop to their good cop in a sense. Um, you know, yelling at them saying, you need to pay because I'm going to be out now promising that no, no, you would never be vacated. You'll never be evicted. We'll, we'll look after it. All the usual things. Uh, until eventually, you know, my contacts there dried up because those, as we've since found out, those, People working for the agency had not been paid themselves, and they've left. So um, it dried up. Uh, the The funds were coming through drip feed by this stage. They were being delivered uh, late at night by a by a driver who has no authority to to, 
to comment or he's not an executive. He can't. There's no point bringing up an argument or a, or a dispute with the driver. He's doing his job. He's delivering a document and that's it. The document in this case was a check that would last, should last for the month, but it was lasting for one night. And they'll book you in for one night. And then a, not even that, it became a, a credit card that was expired. And they were starting to use stalling tactics of, you know, expired credit cards, checks that weren't countersigned or signed would have to go back and they were doing it at 10, 11 o'clock at night, which means that, oh, well, the office is closed, we'll come back tomorrow. And this carried on for about a week or so until eventually it became crunch time and they said, look, and they were, the, the hotel concierge was ringing me three, four times a day, you know, do you have the money, can you pay us? We need to vacate. And then eventually I succumbed and I paid another rent, another month's rent out of my own pocket. And so how long did it go on before you actually had to succumb and pay out of your own pocket? Probably about eight or nine days of that. I guess it went over um, three or four days of, of non-payment and then we disputed again for about another four days and then eventually, yeah, I, I paid them again. You mentioned uh, taking one for the team, copying the stress there, Damien. And I'm just wondering how you felt at this point, because you are between a rock and a hard place, mm. aren't you? But what was it like having to go through that? Because you're thinking, well, <laughs> do I have a roof over my head? Yeah, I, I, Tim, 100%, 1,000%. It's been the most stressful time I've had yeah. in, in 15 years here. You know, uh, I... I I work from, I have my own business. So I, I work as a freelance in, in the media game. And as we know, it's been dry, you know, during COVID. Well, on top there's, of everything in 2020. Yeah. Is, you know, but, so, so there's been, there's been no income for six months. Um, there was residual income from the end of last year that, that, that was coming through. Mm. And then I had some contracts that were kicking in later this year. So, so, you know, I knew there was, there was light at the end of the tunnel with on the income side of things. But at the time, hence why I took the initial decision. To, to, uh, you know, be responsible and sort of cut back on the expenditure and move into a, um, a, a more affordable place. So, you know, there was a lot of stress on that part. Mm. Then once you move in, you think, great, that's, that's, uh, and I took the decision to, uh, to pay with the one check as a positive because I thought, right, I can do this. And then I don't have <laughs> the monthly stress of being, you know, thinking about rent, thinking mm. about, uh, you know, electricity and water and all the all the usual things and Wi-Fi and internet bills and it's all done. So I thought, right, I've paid that. I can ride it out for the next 12 months and focus on getting my clients back on board and, and just work, you know, 100% on, on getting business going again. So then having this um, unexpected stress of every month then became every week, then became every day, then became multiple times a day of saying, look, We've actually your your apartment is now online, and people if they if they say yes to it, we will have to say yes, and you'll have to be out of here within hours because they might want to check in. Um, an enormous amount of unnecessary stress, yeah. And there's nothing coming back from the agency at all, and the agency is at this point closing or closed or about to close. The, the agency is uh, so. The police were called. The police went down to their office and apparently uh, froze some, some some documents. I understand that's that's hearsay, but that's what I understand from from other residents. Um, some of the residents went down to the office to to do a bit of table thumping to get some action over the counter. Found that there's a sign on the door saying the office is closed for sanitisation, and that's been the case now for about three weeks. So there is no one down there. There's no one answering the door. Uh, my own discussions with the police is that they know exactly where the, the the office is. They know the office number. 
the floor, the building. I didn't even have to say that. As soon as I mentioned the name of the agency, they filled in the rest and told me, yes, we know about this. So we have a thoroughly sanitised office and you have a WhatsApp group, I believe, of what, 120 120, people? and that's one WhatsApp group. I understand as of last night there's there's at least one other one. So we don't know. I mean, we're talking, you know, if... Uh, You're talking a multi-million oh, I, scam, I did a very quick mathematical count when it was back at the 60 number when we first started talking and that was roughly in the in the area of on average three to five million dirhams then so let's say now we're looking at 10 10 to 14 million dirhams in 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 people's rent that's that's been stolen effectively because there are the people who have got three bedroom apartments they've got mm. families of four and five you know um I'm at the lower end of the scale in that regard, but there there are other people, and they they have been evicted. They're, they've there's uh, one particular family. I don't know them personally, but it's on the WhatsApp group that we follow, and he's had his three children, and he's looking for another place. He's 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 uh, found a um, alternative accommodation in Sharjah at the moment to to just to keep him grounded because his his luxury apartment is they, they the the key he went back in, and the key was uh, it came out red on the door, wouldn't let him in. So, Damien, you mentioned that one of the reasons why you went with this agency was because of the rent or the price, and it mm. was uh, quite affordable and perhaps below market. Yes. How much below market now that you know what you know? <laughs> well, I, I before all this and before COVID and everything else, it was in my mind that this was part of my 2020 plan anyway. Uh, so I was started a door knock last December just to get a gauge of the market, see what things were doing, because I was going to do it around about June this year. And I, I walked in off the street to, to this place, and, and they they gave me the price then, and it was uh, it was about ninety five to one hundred thousand dirhams for for the apartment that I'm in now, and I went no, that's that's out of my range because you know being a freelancer, I, I need to keep as much as I can in the business side of the than the my own living side. So um, and then you know this year following on the way things were going to go, I thought yep, um, I do a, an awful lot of well I did <laughs> before COVID an awful lot of travelling. Uh, internationally, so I was I was living in in Europe and the US um, for you know, two three nights a week, two sometimes three times a month. Um, so I thought, okay, we'll really downscale here and bring it back. And then I saw the, the the rates here, and the rates that they were offering were on par with studios in the suburbs, you know, in places like like Sports City and International City, even and things like that. And I thought, this is this is. You know the the old the, the old cliche is too good to be true, and it was. So <laughs> I went down there, um, and uh, yeah. So we signed up for that, but uh, anyway, I found out the real cost because I had to I had to you know hand over a check for another month, the month that I'm currently in. And in my mind, I thought, okay, let's bite the bullet. Let's just write the check out and stay another month. I know what I'm paying. So I phoned them up. I said, yep, I'll um, I'll pay that again. And they said, well, the, the monthly rate is ten thousand dirhams. I, I, it was more than more than double. It knocked me off my seat. I went, that can't be right. And they said, well, it's winter rates now. It's peak season. But we'll give you the good rate that we offered them, um, which you know, knocked 2,000 off it. So, I'm, you know, I'm paying more than double. I'm paying 8,000 dirhams for this place where I'm paying, was paying on a, on a monthly rate, 4,000. And they were surprised. The hotel seemed surprised. They said, but we offer it for double of what you're – and to me, it's like, okay, now we're talking probably large-scale fraud here. So fast forward, knowing what you know now, especially since you're plugged into this WhatsApp group of many, many uh, unlucky souls and victims, what happened? What do you think happened? 
who were these guys and uh, what was really behind this there's, uh, their dealings? I mean, there's 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 lots of talk. There's there's lots of theories. Um, one that's plausible because they believe it or not, they're still advertising in those in those same websites that I mentioned before. Is that the, the, he was using the money um, to fund his own boutique hotel in in Dubai and is actually advertising that hotel right now under the same name, even though there are probably uh, I'm guessing. 80 to 100 cases against him right now for this, uh, whether it be breach of trust or fraud or, or whatever. But but there's probably 80 to 100 people who have got cases against him at the police station just from our own WhatsApp group. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that, that it, it, it might have been a money laundering thing to, to pay full rate and get half the money as a single check, take what you can, and then fund that, use that to fund the the new boutique hotel that, that that's being constructed. That's... That's... The, that's one of the theories in my head that, that I can sort of by joining the dots and and seeing things. There's no there's no paper evidence that I can see that. There's nothing. No one's sort of showing me that's exactly what's going on. But just from what I can see from joining the dots and seeing the ads in the paper and seeing what I paid against what they paid, it kind of makes sense in my mind. Let me ask both of you a question, Damien. First of all, uh, to you, what action have you taken to take this? further from a legal perspective so good question tim because initially i i went to rira being right. being residential the I real think, estate okay. regulatory yeah uh, authority. um but as i since found out it's because it's a hotel it's not it's not under rira's jurisdiction hmm. it's part of the dubai tourism and commerce and how about the agency are they registered with rira no they're not and that was the other and again another red flag um is that you know, uh, yeah. If anyone goes through this, yeah, check check their license on the wall <laughs> in the office. Take a photo. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure it's got the stamps in the corner. Um, and I didn't do that, so that's another one. But they're registered with Dubai Tourism and Commerce uh, because there are two there are two types from from my own sort of research. There are two types of uh, of, of of leasing authorities here. There's, there's residential, and then there's holiday or vacation homes mm. um, leasing. And so these guys fall, fall into the ladder. Right. Um, so, so Rira would not accept the case. So I, I then went to, uh, I went to the police. The police initially, when I said to them, you know, uh, look, I've been dudded out of my rant and just, just, just spoke off the top of my head. They said, not us, go to Rira because the police don't really want to deal with, with rental issues. That's why Rira is there. Um, I didn't even get the chance to explain to the policeman. You know, that it's a hotel and get into that kind of thing. That's when I found out that Rira, you know, it's not the thing. Um, so I, I went through Dubai Tourism. They, uh, replied with a, with a, a letter or rather a, a, a text with asking me to get this letter, uh, made up, which will stop me from being evicted or get a refund on, on what I'm paying now. Doesn't, doesn't solve the dispute, the big picture dispute. But it gives you at least a little breathing. Yeah, and that's now being disputed amongst various hotels. Okay. Uh, some hotels are honouring it. Others, including mine, are not um, for, for, for whatever reason. So that's, 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 a, that's a separate issue that's being brought up as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with it now. I went down to the, uh, the little police kiosks, the SPS kiosk, which yep. is where I was told to go rather than go over the desk, right. go and through that process. I did that. The, the the police was aware of what it was. Mm-hmm. So he, and he, what were you doing? Who were you complaining against with the police? Is this the company or specific the, individuals? And 
Well, against the against the agency. The agency itself, yeah. not any specific individuals. No, no, because uh, uh, I didn't have the name of a specific individual at, at that time. The, the the individual, the the agent, you know, the person who was working as the agent for the agency uh, has since left. So, so you never really had contact with anyone who you thought was either a real decision maker or no. senior person at the company. So whoever no. it is that, that you were dealing with before were just employees <laughs> yeah. who have since moved on. Yeah, people who answer the phone and meet you with the keys. So, that, that, so there was no point going against those people because they're not responsible in any – carry any, any weight or any responsibility. So it was against the company and uh, – as soon as I started mentioning the name of the company, the policeman um, finished the <laughs> finished my sentence and said, "Yeah, well, you're, you're about the the fifteenth person today on that." So went through the the, the whole process. The, the the police was really good. It's online. It's on a you know big giant screen. Um, he then gave me a, a reference number that was that was sent to me as a, as a text message, and said after two days go to Burdabai Police and, and quote this number, and then you submit your forms there. So I did that the other day. I just missed the timing hours with, with the time that that particular officer who handles SPS issues. So that's where I am right now. I'm going to probably do that tomorrow or this afternoon. Okay, so we're up to date. So you have reported uh, the agency to uh, Dubai Tourism and Commerce yep. and Marketing. You've made a police complaint, which you're about to follow up. So that's, uh, that is us effectively up to date with the situation. Yep. Uh, second part of that question I was threatening to ask, Ludmilla, where, where does Damien go now? We've got a wealth of information. Clearly lots of people, 120 or more, mm. have been wronged in a scam that may be as much as 10 to 14 million dirhams. Who knows? What does Damien, what do people affected by this do from here? Well, um, great question and a very loaded one. One, before I answer that question, one follow-up question I had to Damien is that apart from what you know now vis-a-vis this WhatsApp group, when you signed the agreement and moved into the hotel, what did you have in your hands in terms of documentation and contact details? So you had the agreement you signed. You had a receipt uh, of uh, payment. Uh, did you have any names of any individuals or con- no. business cards of anyone else? What else did you have on you? Because this is relevant, yeah. Tim, in the, in the sense of when you do bring up a case or want to do something about the particular dispute, you need to be able to act against someone. So we're trying yeah, to figure out sure. who is it that you would be acting against. So based on what you walked out with, what who could you have acted against? So I had the I had the contact details, the business card of of the agent that was that was showing me the place. Um, she's no longer working there. So when she left, uh, she gave me the name of and the contact details online of of someone else there who's in the finance department and to chase him. And I did that and he's now not answering either. And I believe he's also, I believe everyone has left from what I understand. There's no one actually left working there. And do you know the agreement, who was it signed by on behalf of the agency? Was this the agent you were dealing with or was it signed by some senior representative who you might have or not met? It was signed by someone who I had not met. It was signed by a, by a, a senior member of their staff, uh, of the agents. So, um, uh, and it was simply below the signature was simply the name of the of the of the, the business 
not not hit the person's actual name. Now, this varies with everyone's contract from what I've seen so far. Some people have uh, signatures with the printed name of the CEO underneath it. Others have printed name of, uh, you know, the, the, the finance director. Others have three signatures. Others have one. Uh, mine has one and it's simply uh, imprinted underneath it. It simply says the name of the business. It doesn't actually say the name of the the, 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 the person who signed it. Well, so in terms of what Damien and other victims could do, it's obviously this is a dispute now. So you need to address this dispute and there are different authorities or parties with whom you could uh, start. Uh, on the one hand, you have the courts. On the other hand, you have the regulatory authorities. So with regards to the regulatory authorities, as you've rightfully pointed out, you first reached out to RERA and RERA being the real estate uh, regulatory authority and or agency. And uh, so your natural conclusion was that since this was a real estate deal, that they would have some sort of authority over this mm. particular agency. Now, since this agency you have since learned was not uh, registered with RERA, so therefore RERA as a regulatory agency uh, claims to not have any jurisdiction over this particular agency and therefore whatever, whoever the individuals that would be registered with it. So your next move was to go to DDCM, which is the Dubai uh, Tourism uh, Authority. And uh, they have since been aware because they are the ones who have actually licensed this particular agency. And so they have been aware of this particular situation. And presumably, and perhaps it's a question to you, they have suspended the license or perhaps are investigating or sanctioned it? Do you know at all? At the moment, I don't believe there's there's been any of that. Uh, at the moment, it, it's still in the case of us um, taking it to the police and making it a, a civil case. Okay, so that's and that's uh, one. Well, I guess one strategy or one type of advice that uh, I would recommend you consider and others consider as well, and that is re report the agency because right now what you have is you have a letter from the uh, from the DTCM. Uh, ultimately giving uh, tenants the right to remain in the properties uh, until this dispute is resolved. But what you don't have, based on what you've described, is you don't have a complaint lodged with this particular regulatory, regulatory authority complaining about this agency. And uh, since it's a government agency, in order for you, for them to actually examine this particular situation, they do need to have, there's a checklist of, of formalities that they need to go through. And in mm -hmm. most cases, it needs to start with a complaint. So I'd say one thing that uh, others should do is that at least register complaints with this agency. And it depends on the status of the agency with DTCM, for example, because if they're still functioning, and as you said, from what you know, they perhaps uh, trying to invest and build and promote other projects. So if they're still functioning, then they still have interest in being registered with this agency and therefore being in good standing. If that's the case, then in situations like this, usually the regulatory authority actually does have the authority, perhaps it's more, it's less legal, more practical to put some pressure or influence on the, the particular agency. So therefore they could either threaten to freeze their license, to sanction them, and or to cancel their license. So sometimes uh, they may actually, you may be able to get them to uh, to influence the the result uh, just by virtue of their of their regulatory position in the market, but that only would work if in fact the agency still is is a going concern and wants to continue to stay in business, which 
based on mm. what you described, is, is highly <laughs> unlikely. Uh, but that, but regardless, you won't really know about it, but you need to file a complaint with DTCM mm. so that they have it registered on their record, one, and then perhaps two, through that, you might be able to find out more about the agency itself, perhaps you whether the license is still being active, renewed, canceled, and therefore also the people that are behind the agency. Though what you've mentioned before and what I learned from you is that because of the numbers of, of victims and they're in your group, a lot of information has already been shared uh, by others. So, uh, but still, on the one hand, the regulatory side of things, you should register your complaint because one way or the other, as you said, this agency continues to advertise. Yeah. So if nothing else, uh, that you should... Uh, the DTCM should do something about it uh, to prevent their advertising. Uh, there's also another group called the Consumer Protection Department, uh, and that's also uh, another regulatory agency. And they, too, have, uh, similar to DTCM, have regulatory authority, but they can also uh, sanction the parties or the companies that are licensed by them. So that's another, on the regulatory side of things, that's another good strategy to uh, to consider and explore. It doesn't cost money in terms of legal fees or, or court fees. It purely just sending an email to the relevant contacts at either agency. So I think irrespective of what you do on the more formal front, these two things you should definitely explore. One being the DTCM and filing a sort of official complaint with them against this particular agency. And then two, also with the Consumer Protection Department uh, seeking the same. So... Mm. What's important to highlight, even though these two options are there, and I would still recommend that you explore them, uh, ultimately, these regulatory agencies, because they are nothing more than regulatory, they don't have the authority to basically to order the agency exactly. to pay you money back. And at mm. the end of the day, what we want is a refund of your money. That's, yeah. that's and, and that's pretty much what DTCM has said. That look, we're we're uh, we're, we're mediators. We we don't we can, we can't rule. We can we can just offer you our our advice. Right. So therefore, at the end, you are still out of pocket with regards to the money that you have lost, you've paid, and now you don't have the benefit off. So it's apart from this emotional, perhaps, and psychological issue that you're experiencing now, having been basically cheated and defrauded, uh, there is the financial or commercial aspect that you really need to address, and that is how do you get money back. Now, to do that, you need to go through the more formal channels, which is the court. Uh, with regards to the court process, there are two types of cases that you could file and sounds like some already have one is criminal the other one is civil with regards to criminal and this is why i was asking if you actually have names of the individuals because to file a criminal case that actually especially that one that perhaps would have some kind of leverage for your purposes you need to have a name of the individual and mm -hmm. it's not just the agent with whom you dealt yeah. but it has to be a decision maker or someone that's affiliated or associated with the company and ultimately somebody either who owns the company partners or shareholders of the company or the manager on the license and uh, that's why i was asking whether you actually had that information uh, from in your own uh, case file yeah and yeah, we've, we've, got, we've got that information, yeah. Yes, yeah. so therefore, so you would file a criminal case against those individuals. And I use the word those versus that, even though you mentioned that there seemed to be one individual in particular that is affiliated with this company. Mm. That being said, that individual is most likely only one of the people that are associated with the company and therefore they could be uh, held accountable. Yeah. So therefore it's important to uh, to file cases against all of them. Yeah, there's three there's three in total and we've got we've got the details 
of the three people. And, yeah. and who are these three people and how do you know that there are three in total? Just just from our, from our WhatsApp group, they've been very diligent <laughs> in, in their research. Um, and uh, so there's there's the, the CEO, I believe, uh, I'm not sure what the exact title of the other two are, but they're the three of them together own the business. And uh, and so we've got, I believe we've got the the information in terms of their, their, their details that we need to, to start the process. You see, statements like the ones you just made, three of them, they own the business, uh, we often hear them. However, in most cases, the, the truth is much more complex than that. And yeah. it's simply because in terms of who owns the business would only be formally and official, would only be reflected on a license, a trade license. And that's why I was asking right. when you signed yeah. the agreement as part of your case file, would you have, would, did you receive, for example, a trade license of the company? And that is one of those things that very few people in the UAE still do when they sign agreements with entities, with, with corporate entities versus individuals. They don't, as part of the signing of the agreement, they don't actually get a copy of the trade license of that company. Now, in your case, what you should have received is the trade license of the company. And now in the UAE, the trade license itself is also a document that's not um, as simple as, as many believe. It's not just a one-pager because the one-page document that we or many of us have seen which is called the license the trade license uh, does not include names of the owners it includes and most of the time it only includes names of the manager right. and so now the manager is just that it's a manager he he or she is a responsible and an accountable person for that legal entity but ultimately they are not necessarily the owner the owners of the business would be reflected in another page of the document that's attached to the license. And in that, in that document, there would be a list of all the partners or shareholders or owners of the business. In most cases, 99% of the time, even when you do ask for a copy of the trade license, which very few people do, yep. uh, they would only be presented with that one page document, the license, and not the second. And sometimes it's even two or three pages uh, in support of that first license page, which would reflect who the different owners perhaps were originally and any kind of amendments that might have been made since then. So most people in most transactions actually do not have those subsequent pages, but it's only based on that subsequent pages that you would, you would know conclusively who would ultimately be legally responsible for the actions of this particular business. And that's why... While it's very helpful um, to uh, rely, to, to receive the information you, you're receiving from the various um, uh, victims on the group, uh, do remember that ultimately before you file any formal actions, there should be, it would be highly uh, helpful to have a copy of the actual list of the partners or the owners of the business, because then you would be able to tell who you can legally go after. And how do you get that list? Ideally, you would have gotten that list before you parted with your money, ideally. Mm. Now, at this point, uh, the only, I guess there are several ways. One is perhaps, uh, as the case has been with, with your group, uh, sounds like there's a lot of resourceful individuals on the group, <laughs> and, and so they can get copies. But generally speaking, that list is not publicly available. Right. So you really are at the behest of that company, the entity to actually share with you the list, on the one hand, that's officially, or through the courts. But to receive it from the courts, you need to actually have file a case with the courts. Or the police, sometimes the police will, will uh, provide you those details. But one way or the other, you need to actually have uh, filed a case, either a formal case with the police or a formal case with the, uh, with the court. 
but generally speaking, that information is not available to, uh, to, to the general public. But that's how you would know who will ultimately be responsible. Mm-hmm. Because often what happens is that um, a lot of individuals hold themselves out to the public to be the decision makers and the owners and the representatives of a particular legal entity. But in legal terms, when you actually file a case and try to pursue that individual legally, they have nothing to do with the company. So that that's a very important link. And in particular, with a company like you were dealing with, which is the agency, from what I understand, it was an LLC, which is a limited liability company, which means it would have been registered on the mainland and not in the free zone. Now, LLCs that are, that are registered on the mainland would always have, in the very in the very least, a local or an Emirati owner who would own at least 51% of the company. Mm. So I don't know if you know that, but basically mm. already that would be le- in legal terms. That is one of the parties, one of the individuals that would ultimately have to be brought into the case. As we know, in practical terms, most of the time in these these LLCs, the way they're using, there is an Emirati partner, but they're not actually involved in the business. Yeah. And most of the time, it'd be the other non-Emirati partners that have been... Uh, doing the business or shenanigans <laughs> that they're <laughs> doing. And so, but, but it's important to understand that it's not always, in most cases, somebody who says they are an owner of a business, in fact, legally speaking, are not. And you may have to, uh, at some point, to uh, switch tact and instead of going after someone who is registered mm-hmm. officially with a company, but more so against someone who actually was making decisions on behalf of this company. So that is one of those, the due diligence steps that, that is very important to, uh, to go through before you file any cases. Because when you go to the, filing a case with the police is one thing. There you would need to, it sounds like in your case, a lot of groundwork has already been done because other yeah. people have complained. So the police, as part of these many complaints, has already compiled a file on the company and the various individuals that are involved. So some of the heavy lifting has already been done on your behalf. But uh, the police, in the very least, or in the, at best, what they will be able to do is to uh, to do capture this particular individual and then put them in jail. You will still not get your money. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, that being said, if you file your own criminal case, which I highly encourage that you do, in addition to all the other individuals that have filed, because in the UAE you cannot file one case uh, as a group. So each one of you would need to file a criminal case. And it's important that you do right. that. And so not rely on just other uh, victims who have already done so. Because... Mm-hmm. Once you file a criminal case, there will be a case, a formal case, which uh, is against this particular individual, but it is actually being um, brought by the state, not by you, Damien, your individual capacity, but by the state. But you would also be party or you would be... uh, sort of a mentioned entity or affiliated party to the case. And therefore, once that case has gone through the courts, you have a judgment against the individual. On the back of that judgment, you, Damien, will be able to file a case with the civil courts for your money. Mm. So that's why it's good to have your name registered. And it's not necessary, and I'll explain why, because in terms of the court process, the civil court, uh, there are two ways of approaching this. So at the end, it's important to highlight that in order, if you want to get money back, you will have to file a criminal, a, a civil case. Yeah. Because only a civil court will actually issue an order for a refund of funds or money. 
Okay. To file a case, you could either go directly now and you mm. would go with your contract and you would allege breach of trust and ultimately refund, request a refund of your funds. And you would have to, if without a criminal court judgment, you would have to prove to the court that the contract has been breached. So you would have to prove that what well, I've given them this money for this property and I was supposed to receive this benefit, i.e. stay in this property for one year. And in fact, I have not. So you'd have to go through the process of, of proving that they breached and that you didn't. Whereas if you have, and you could do that because mm. obviously there's enough communication where you can do that, but it's a lengthier process because you still need to establish guilt, guilt of the other side of the agency. Whereas if you have a criminal judgment already, then the guilt has already been ruled on. So it has already been established. So you no longer need to prove that you were in the right and they were in the wrong. So now on the back of this criminal judgment, you would ask the civil court to actually give you or uh, you would request a refund of your funds on the basis of the guilt that had already been established. So as you can see, this is not simple, uh, but uh, perhaps the positive news is that it sounds like a number of other people have already filed criminal cases. So presumably some traction has already happened on the criminal side of things. So once you register your name to it, you would like to think, especially now with uh, your COVID has had some positive uh, effects on uh, the practice in the UE, one of which is that a lot of the government authorities, including the police and the courts, have gone online. And mm. by virtue of that, they've become a lot more efficient. So you might be surprised that this particular case, the criminal case, might be proceeding a lot faster than it would have before COVID. Mm. And so, but it's important that you register your name to it so that you also have access to these documents once they're actually issued. And once they're issued, then on the back of the criminal judgment, you will file a civil case and request a refund of your money. Okay. So that's ultimately kind of a summary of yeah. what your options are in terms of the, uh, the the legal system in the UAE. So that's so that's interesting actually because one of the one of the issues that's coming up amongst all of us talking on on the the, the WhatsApp group is because uh, as we're getting you know, more people every day, they're asking the same questions because they're all starting from 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 you know, ground zero kind of thing, and uh, a repetitive question that keeps coming up is. Uh, look, there's so many of us involved. Should we sort of get in and start uh, and organize a class action or go together? But you're saying you, that's you, you have to do it individually. Correct. So, and that's a very important point to highlight, in particular under your circumstances, since there are so many people that have found themselves in these unfortunate circumstances. That is correct. Uh, as um, as much as perhaps they have a, a common ground uh, mm. to uh, to stand on in legal terms, they would have to file. Each one of you would have to file separate case both with the police and uh, in civil courts uh, to pursue your respective uh, respective agreements ultimately uh, so you could not file it's yeah. not possible to file a, a, a collective or class action suit there's one more thing in terms of the practical side of things that uh, perhaps is important for everyone to uh, at least know and that is what do you do with the hotel in the meantime yeah. So because what we're talking about right now is basically the a breach of an agreement between the individuals. And I'd like to call them tenants, renters, but it's hard to, <laughs> to call them that <laughs> under these circumstances. So but the individuals and the agency. Uh, okay, but in the meantime, the actual dispute that all of you are having, the practical dispute is between you, the, the tenants, and the hotel. 
And so how does the hotel fall into all of this? It, based on what you've described, it sounds like they just want to exculpate themselves, that they have nothing to do with this, that they themselves have been defrauded and cheated, and therefore they want you to carry the burden of having basically to ensuring that they get paid. Exactly. Uh, well, it's in legal terms, it's not actually as simple as perhaps the hotels may want it or uh, trying to make it uh, look or appear. Uh, so based on what you described, it seems that the, the hotels knew mm. what was going on. And there was, in fact, a relationship between the hotel and this agency. And therefore, they too are responsible and they too are accountable for what has happened. Because at the end of the day, given the circumstances of how these uh, tenancies or rents took place, the hotel enabled for all of this to happen. They were yeah. there, they witnessed the parties to it, and they allowed for it to happen. Therefore, I would argue from a legal standpoint, uh, they are responsible. And in fact, they they are the ones who should take the blame and should take the burden of having to go after the agency and not the individual tenants. And so, because yeah. from your perspective, you have an agreement, albeit not with the right entity, and you have made the payment, again, albeit not to the right entity, but at least from a good faith standpoint, you have the documentation and proof that you have, at least in your mind, paid for this particular unit and that you ultimately been defrauded, but that, but that you have not been defrauded without the knowledge of the hotel. So I yeah. would say from a legal standpoint, you have a very, a very strong case uh, to continue to stay in the properties as per your original agreements and then have the hotel either go, I mean, really just go after the, um, the agency and seek uh, repayment for that period of time. Uh, so I understand in, in legal terms, that's what you would, I would recommend you know, those who find themselves in this situation would do. But in practical terms, I understand that some people, as you said, have already moved out just yeah. because of the pressure and the stress of, of these constant calls and threats of the hotel representatives trying to evict them. And so in some cases, this will happen. And uh, in legal terms, a hotel representative cannot just kick you out of the hotel, especially in, in these circumstances where these are uh, long-term accommodation options. And so you have your pictures, you have your personal belongings. You can't just be kicked out. Mm. So in legal terms, even if you're not paying rent, the landlord cannot just lock the doors or come in and, and push you out. The police has to be involved. Yeah. Now, for the police to be involved, the police will not be involved unless there's a court judgment. Mm. So in in legal terms, the hotel representatives cannot kick you out. Yeah. They are threatening and they're bullying, and it sounds like some and it's it's effective in some cases because some people have moved out. But in but it's important to highlight that that's not legal. Yeah. So they cannot just can't, for example, deactivate the cards. They cannot just kick you out, especially because you have your personal belongings there. Yeah. So you can in fact file a criminal case against the hotel. Uh, so. That, I would say, is is a legal and also practical advice that I'd say in terms of uh, what you can do uh, with regards to your current options in the hotel. And then let the hotel fight that battle because they yeah. cannot hold themselves be to be the innocent party here. Because what's happened with in the case of some of the hotels, uh, mine included, is that they've shown... Um, so the hotel has, has frozen the card, so the access card, to, to some people. Uh, I was with one of the tenants the other day, and literally he came back from from Jimmy had to go to work that night, and he couldn't even get access to his apartment to to get changed so he can go to work. And they said that's that's it. So the police was called, 
Um, the police said, look, you need to show them uh, a, a letter from the, from the RDC that, that gives you access to the apartment. So he went and did that, and a few of them have done that. Now, some of the hotels have honoured their letter. Our particular hotel said, no, it doesn't apply to us, and have still frozen people out. So, But the thing is, is that even though the, the hotel is probably acting against, well, he's definitely acting against the will of the letter and probably what they should do based on what you're saying, is that the, the, the reality is that they're doing this after the police have gone, and then in order to get it back again, it's another, you know, because it's not a critical thing for the police, so it's quite often it's a lengthy wait. It can be three, four hours for the police to turn up. People have things to do. They have to get on. So as a result, yeah, people are still, even though they have the letter from the RDC saying you must grant us access, some hotels are still winning by freezing the card and saying the letter doesn't apply. Start again. That's, that's improper and it's really against uh, the laws, uh, but... You know, as long as they do it and people react or respond to those tactics, uh, they're effective. And mm. unfortunately, that's what they're relying on. Uh, the more they bully and the more effective it is, the more they will continue to bully. But this is why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> it's uh, important to highlight in legal terms, uh, they should be responsible for what happened. And therefore, they should bring up a case or file a case against the agency and honor uh, these agreements that the rest of you have signed with this agency, obviously in the presence of the hotel and uh, with the endorsement of the hotel. It's an incredible story, Damien. Uh, Ludmilla, there are so many facets to this story. There's no possible resolution right here and right now, but we have certainly a course of action, and that is to um, lodge a criminal case and then uh, obviously a civil case against the agency. But if we can just finish off this podcast by recapping slightly and looking at what perhaps it would have been helpful for Damien to be more aware of before being in, you know, uh, facing a situation like this. Uh, but also just to recap the steps that you need to take if uh, a situation like this rears its ugly head towards you. Yeah, so I'd prefer to answer that question from in a different order. One is what steps should be taken in order to avoid being in this situation to begin with. That's fair. And so <laughs> so to start with, uh, always uh, ask questions and request documents. And as simple as it sounds, it uh, doesn't often happen. In most cases, it doesn't. So the questions in this particular case, what would they be? One is, what are you doing? You are moving into a property. Now, this property must be owned by someone. So you need to make sure that you are dealing with or have contact with the ultimate decision maker for that particular property. So in this case, it's the hotel. Uh, in other cases, it'd be the landlord. So you need to have direct communication uh, or you need to make sure that whoever it is you're dealing with that represents the owner or the hotel actually has legal authority to represent them. Now, just because uh, they seem to know each other or because there is, for example, a letter that, sa that says, yes, I'm the owner representing or giving authority to such and such represent me, does not make that legal authority that you can ultimately in good faith rely on in the courts. So the authority here would be a power of attorney. Uh, or some kind of a corporate, properly executed document, for example, a board resolution, because it's a company. So a company, for example, could do a board resolution saying, yes, we have appointed such and such agency to represent us in the case of um, rentals. 
And so that would be the document or the steps and the documents that everyone who is considering renting a property for short term or long term that should should um, go through. So find out who it is that you're dealing with. Make sure you're dealing with the actual landlord. Uh, and if it's not the landlord, that it's uh, a properly authorized representative. And the power of attorney is, uh, in legal terms, really the only enforceable and reliable document. Uh, for corporates, it could be a board resolution or shareholder resolution. But even then, you need to make sure that they're properly uh, authorized or properly attested. Uh, so once you do that, then you need to make sure that whatever the ultimate documents you sign uh, are actually signed by the uh, representative, by properly authorized representatives. Because when you're dealing with companies, uh, it's the company that becomes a party to the agreement. And uh, But the company obviously cannot sign the agreement. It has to be somebody that represents the company. So you need to make sure that whoever the individual that signs on that agreement, in fact, has the authority to bind the company. And so, and as part of all of this, the, the necessary step for you to even be able to see whether this individual has the authority, it, you would have to see the supporting documents. So what everyone should always have and ask for and not be afraid is, okay, I want if the owner or the landlord's an individual, you get a copy of their passport, you get a copy of the title deed, you get a copy of the Emirates ID of the UE resident, uh, in your case, Damien, so what you should have asked for is a copy of the trade license of the entity with whom you were dealing. In this case, it would be the, the agency. But in addition to that, since it's not the agency, or, or I guess what you would have asked for is either title deed for the property or some kind of an, an agreement or document that proves that this agency actually either has the right to rent out or lease out these properties or actually owns this property. And so it's through that you would have found out that, well, they are just an agency or an agent that's a third party. Okay, therefore, you would have been able to draw the link or, or establish that there's no link between the hotel and the agency. But in your case, there should have been some sort of, for example, a document between the hotel and the agency that gives them the authority to actually sublet, ultimately, uh, the units to the individuals. And then as part of this, you'd also would have gotten copies of either power of attorney or shareholder resolutions, and more importantly, passport copies of the individuals who are involved. Uh, so that's on the contractual and do documentation side of things. On the financial side of things, it's always very, very, very important to understand and remember that whenever you part with money, that that money should always be issued in the name of whoever it is that ultimately would benefit from from this and mm -hmm. the person or the entity who would, who should benefit would be the the landlord or the hotel so the money should always be issued in the name of that entity and then you leave it to them to figure out how they want to divvy up the, the payments uh, be with their representative but in fact if this was through rira rira has actually issued mandates before clearly stating that brokers do not have the right in fact it's against the law for brokers to take money from tenants that are in the name or checks in particular in the name of somebody other than the landlord. So RIA has already addressed it because yeah. these kinds of scams have happened before uh, on the residential front. Uh, so same thing for in your case, what should have been done, and, and this is a advice to all those who are listening, is that whenever you part with money, you need to make sure that that money goes to actually the ultimate person or entity who would benefit from it. Uh, so in particular with the case, in the case of a check, it should have been issued in the name of the hotel. 
so that those are the things that should have been done. And even if, uh, let's say, even if after all that, somehow the hotel now claims that they have not uh, received the money, that at least you would have had a whole stack of documents that would have allowed you to right away file a case with DTCM, with RERA, for example, the Consumer Protection Department, with the police, with the courts, and so on and so forth. Uh, but uh, without those documents, uh, much time has to pass and much sort of due diligence and detective work has to happen, which has been the case in, in, uh, with your group, in order for anyone to actually even be able to take an action. Uh, so that's just advice moving forward for all those who want to avoid finding themselves in a similar situation. But now just to recap for the purposes of what you and uh, those who are in a, a similar position as you can do is definitely file complaints with the regulatory authority, DTCM being one, and perhaps consumer protection is the other, knowing, however, that you will not be able to receive money from them because they don't have the authority to do so, but it's still good to at least register with the authorities that these guys are crooks. Uh, and on the other hand, you have to file a case with the police and register your name or add your name to already hopefully existing criminal case against the agency and the individuals involved. And then either once there's a criminal judgment against them or in parallel, you can file a civil claim or civil case. And then once there's a criminal judgment that's been finalized, you can rely on the judgment and expect compensation and request the civil courts to grant you compensation for being defrauded. Just one one thing you, you just brought up, which I'd like to bring up, um, the subletting. When you mentioned subletting, now when when you sign when you sign a contract for a residential, and also when I sign this contract here, it says, and it's pretty standard legalese, it says that you it's it's you and your immediate family only. You cannot you know you cannot sublet. You cannot let other people stay in it, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, which is what I signed on this one for myself as a tenant, but. I'd be curious to know because effectively that's what the hotel has done with the agency because the agency has presented itself as being the tenant. In effect, they've gone up, they've booked the room for a month and then they've passed it on to a complete stranger, i.e. me, um, which is, a, which is a, a classic sublet. The, the hotel is clearly at fault here. So they cannot... Because that, that's, the, that's the model. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And in fact, but I do want to highlight one thing or clarify is that the way the real estate law is drafted with regards to sublet, it says uh, uh, parties cannot sublet unless, or, or I guess the tenant cannot sublet un unless parties agree otherwise. Okay. So there is unless agree mm. otherwise on the one hand. On the other hand, in your case, as you said, because it's a hotel, the real estate law, the rental laws, it's questionable whether those rental laws actually apply to this particular scenario. Mm. Uh, but one way or the other, sublet is really more of a contractual term. But in this case, based on what you described, it's clear that the hotel knew and allowed for this sublet to happen. So therefore, for them to, uh, to now state that they had nothing to do with it is just improper and obviously not correct. And that is another episode of Logical. It has to be said. Thank you, Damien Reed, for joining us today to tell the story. Damien, I really hope this discussion uh, with Ludmilla has helped from a legal perspective and that just being able to talk the situation through and get the word out has also helped because I can understand uh, from listening to you the stress. Thanks again for sharing your story. I really appreciate it, Tim. Ludmilla, thank you so much. It's good to, yeah, it's good just to have a set of ears to listen to, to you know, get it out there and, and to get some, some 
proper, independent, unbiased, well-heeled, with no strings attached, whether you're a, a hotel or an agency, advice back so we know where we can go from here. So thank you to both of you. And thank you, Damien, and good luck. And please keep us posted. Perhaps we can do a follow-up mm. on um, the successful resolution of this otherwise unpleasant situation. I'd be more than happy. <laughs> Let's hope so. As ever, our legal expert here on Logical Today was Ludmilla Yamalova. Ludmilla is the managing partner here at Yamalova and Pleska. Always an education hearing from you. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. If you have a legal question you need answered, like Damien there, in a future episode of Logical, or if you'd like a consultation with a UAE-qualified, experienced legal professional, you can WhatsApp us. 00971 or just click the contact button at lylawyers.com.